Galatians chapter 5, speaking this morning on take the next step in battle. Our theme is take the next step. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And all of us, regardless of where we are in our Christian faith, if we're a new believer or if we're a person that's been saved for a long time, we all have steps that we need to take. Amen? Now, the step that we're looking at today is the step of taking the next step in battle. Did you know that you're in a warfare? And I know, I'll bet you, how many of you think that I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare? I guess it is kind of spiritual warfare, but the only devil that we're going to be talking about today is you. We have a battle, and look what this text says. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Let's read that again. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand the battle today. Lord, all of us are engaged in this battle. And I think that those of us who have been saved for any length of time or been under the Word for any length of time are aware of the battle. Help us to be reminded uh, of how to win today. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to be looking at an example, an illustration of this battle and what we're going to be doing for the, the near future is we're going to be tying our Take the Next Step in with our Genesis study. So we're going to be looking at the lives of people in the book of Genesis, continuing through, and seeing how they took the next step. Um, when you get past Abraham, though, we have come through Abraham, we've looked at him, and now we start studying the lives of Isaac and Jacob, all of a sudden, it's a little disappointing you would think that the son of Abraham, the one who was made to be a type of Christ when he was brought up onto the mountain and, and allowed himself to be sacrificed, allowed himself to be offered, even though he was not offered, even though the sacrifice didn't, wasn't concluded, you would think that that man would be a great picture of faith. You know, Abraham was a great man of faith. He was a man of vision. He was, he was a man that was going to go after the land and conquer it. And Isaac became a man of the wells. We really only learn much about Isaac in, in one chapter in the Bible. And in the chapter, we learn that he just wanted to stay close to the water. He wanted to stay close to the well. He was always concerned with his own personal comfort. And that's what Dalton Robertson says. He says that the number one thing he's concerned with at any particular moment is his own personal comfort. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I think most of us are that way. And uh, sometimes we discipline our kids, not because they, they need shaping and molding, but because they're bothering us. Isn't that interesting? And what Isaac does is Isaac gives us an example or an illustration of a man that was really controlled by his appetites. And that had grave, a grave impact on his kids. One of the things that I think is interesting about Isaac is Isaac seemed to learn from all of the mistakes that Abraham made and repeated them and learned almost nothing from the victories of Abraham. 
And that gives us a, a principle. And that principle is that our kids will listen to what we say, but they will more likely do what we do. And that's an amazing thing. When we look at the life of Jacob, when we look at the life of Esau, the sons of Isaac, the grandsons of Abraham, you would think that there would be some kind of fruit. But man, what a mess that it is. Uh, I was listening to a guy, who, and he said that he was doing a Bible study, and it was with some new believers, and they had studied Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this guy said, why didn't God pick some guys that were better than Jacob, Isaac? Listen to what the guy said, the answer. It's a great answer. What else did he have to work with? There's no other choices. The Bible says in, uh, let's just look at it, Galatians 6.3, since we're right here. Look at Galatians 6.3. This is such a great verse. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. See, here's our problem. We think we're better than Isaac. We think we're better than Jacob. We think that we're better than Esau. And, you know, like I've said to you before, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? But wait a minute. I'm saved. I'm born again. And I hope that all of you have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal salvation. When that happens, there's a great change that takes place. But we really need in our culture to be careful of self-words, self-esteem, self-gratification, self-loving. You know what I'm learning to do right now? You know, I was down on myself, but, but now I'm learning that I'm okay. I, I need to learn that I just need to love myself first. And all the people threw up. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how that is? Now, how many of you ever heard somebody on TV or somebody say something like that? You know, I was a drug addict and and, you know, I, 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 was, I was anorexic. I want you to know, you're, you can be comforted with this. I have won the battle against anorexia. I have. Um, and, so I, I, and there are always these stars, you know. And, oh, I, you know, I, I, I was an anorexic and bulimic and taking drugs. And, and I, but now I love myself. Oh, you were doing all those things because you hated yourself. No, you're doing all those things because self is all there is. It's all about me. And so what we need to be careful of as believers, and how many of you have ever heard this? How many of you remember the Jerry Falwell, Jesus first pins? Y'all remember those? And, and so here was what people would say, Jesus first, others second, and me third. It sounds good, except the Bible says that Jesus is the first and the last. He's the all in all. He's everything. And so here's the order. Jesus first, Others somewhere in there, and me not at all. If I die to self. That's the right way. That's the battle. The thing that I must understand is I've got to take the next step in my battle with myself. Have you ever noticed everything's always somebody else's fault? The devil made me do it. Flip, Flip Wilson theology, right? The devil made me do it. Now, some of you, how many of you have no idea who Flip Wilson is? Now, you old people, look around. That's how old you are. I want you to know that. <laughs> we need to understand that we're in a battle, and that battle includes the world, the flesh, and the devil. Notice the order. Satan doesn't care about you 
until you win the battle against the world and the flesh. Then you'll start fighting Satan. So what I have to understand is I've got to take the next step in the battle. And the first thing that I want you to see is that it is a battle for your children. It is a battle for your children. When you battle your own flesh, when you battle your own self, that is the battle that you're fighting for your kids. Because like we've already said, what you say, they might do. What you do, they will do. We've asked you before, how many of you have ever you've been doing something you said, man, I was just my dad. You ladies, I was just my mom. How many of you have ever said that and it really bothered you? Yeah, because how many of you ever said this? I will never be like them. Sorry. See, that's why it's so important that you model right behavior for your kids. It is so important. Now, praise God. I won't have you raise your hand on this, but I know that there are many of us in this room whose parents did, they were not good examples. They were not good models. Isn't God's grace wonderful? It overcomes all that junk. But I'll tell you what, I think, I, I think that there's a distinction. Um, Patrick and uh, uh, Josh, why don't you guys come up here and help me for a minute? I found the two ugliest guys I could so people wouldn't be jealous. <laughs> That's right. All right, so here's the idea. Let's say that Patrick comes from a godly home. He knows exactly what the Bible says about how to raise kids and what he's supposed to do. All right? Josh just got saved out of, you know, he, he used to travel with the circus and he, he was a bearded lady. <laughs> Um, no, he, <laughs> that's not right, is it? Okay, but, but anyway, he comes from a life that, that's just horrible. You know, his parents didn't have any idea about the word. They might have even hated God, hated everything he did. All right, now I want you to see something. I believe, according to the word of God, that God's grace is going to help him overcome many of those things. He may make some mistake out of ignorance and out of immaturity in the word with his children that the Lord will help him overcome. Amen? I also believe this, that Patrick, who knows what to do, and the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Is that what the Bible says? I genuinely believe this, that the things that Patrick willingly neglects will be manifested in his children more readily than in his children. I believe that that is clear in the Word of God. We are accountable for the light that we have. Thank you, guys. We are accountable for the light that we have. Amen? So sometimes you see some people, and man, they, they just seem to be messing up all the time, and God's blessing them. Then you see some other people that know better, and, and they just keep making all the wrong decisions, what's the difference? Motive. Motive. I'll tell you what, when somebody is trying to do good and they mess up, that's completely different. It is completely different. You need to understand that you're in a battle, and that is a battle for your children, and what you do will carry more weight than what you say. Then I want you to understand that everybody makes their own choices. Everyone makes their own choices. 
I'm trying to raise Jacob and Lydia to serve the Lord. But when they get to be, you know, when Lydia's 35 and she leads, leaves home. No dates before 35. Look, when she leaves, when she leaves, she's going to make her choices. So, so it's like this. These guys are a little bit older, so I'll come over here. Anthony, Frank, Michael. How old are you, Anthony? 15? 14? Okay. 15, 14, 17. All right. Michael, you are to the place where you're getting ready to leave. You're going to go to school. You're going to, you're going to enter into your career and in your life. You guys have a couple more years. What all of us need to understand is the Bermonds and the Enyarts are living lives that are shaping what these young men will do. How many of y'all believe that? Frank, you believe that, right? And I think Ed's downstairs. Ed believes that. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You guys, though, have to make the choice. And you're making that choice right now. So, Anthony, you don't make that choice when you're 21 or when you're 19. You're making that choice right now by how you live the Word of God, how you receive the Word of God, how you listen to preaching, how you respond to your parents when they give you instruction at home, when your parents mess up. Uh, why don't we have these guys come and tell us about when their parents mess up? No, let's not do that. <laughs> when your parents mess up, you know that they actually do love God. They just mess up sometimes. And I know your families that they live the Word more often than they don't live the Word. So if you guys walk away from the Lord, it's your fault. So here's the concept. You guys make your own choices. You make your choices. So I, I could ask you this. And don't answer, okay? Because I really don't want you to answer the wrong way. So, so if I was going to ask Frank here, Frank, now when you get out of high school, you're going to go and live with a girl that's not your wife and, and do drugs and, and do all those things. Imagine if I asked him if that's what he was going to do, and he said yes. First of all, Frank's going to kill him. He's not going to make it to 21. <laughs> but imagine. Do you know that there are kids, maybe even Lydia, Kayla, Mackenzie, Annika, maybe even their age, who have already made the choice that that's what they want to do with their lives? That's where, remember, people make their own choices but here's where this becomes really important. We as parents help shape our children's appetites. What are they introduced to? Here's the deal. It's going to be really hard for Jacob to become an alcoholic because he won't be introduced to any of that at home. He won't be introduced to it at school. He won't be That is not going to enter into his life. Amen? So I am controlling it. Lydia, it's going to be real hard for Lydia to fall in love with an unsaved guy. Unless that unsaved guy has deceived everyone in this church. Why? Because she's not, I'm not going to buy her a car and have her fill that car with unbelievers and spend one service a week in church and expect that to overcome the influence of the unbelievers that are around her non-stop. 
Is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? We have lost our minds. How many of you believe you are what you eat? Remember that commercial with the big cinnamon roll on the (laughs) rear end, you know? It's just... (laughs) Noah, you like that, don't you? Listen, what are you feeding your kids? What are you feeding them? Here's the deal. When your kids get out of high school, I want them to serve the Lord. I think every young person, listen to what I'm saying. Now, first of all, there are some people that grew up in legalistic churches. So anytime a preacher now says anything, they say that's legalism. I'm not going to listen to it. Well, then let your kids go to hell. I don't care. Actually, I do care. I think I care more about kids than some of you guys do. Just because you have people that impose rules that are not biblical doesn't mean that all rules are unbiblical. Amen? And maybe it's not your child that has the submission problem. So hear what I'm going to tell you. I think that every young person, I, th- I believe that every young person ought to spend a year in Bible college. Let them experience what it's like to be around nothing but believers. Let them see what life can be like apart from the world. Give them the option. They may want to serve the Lord with their lives. Give them the opportunity. Give them the option. Oh, no, no. They've got to get to college because they're going to have to have a career. Oh, oh, That's right. That's right. Because, boy, if they take a year and study the Bible, that's going to ruin them. Well, what if they have scholarships? Oh, what if they have scholarships? Oh, that's right. We don't have a God that can provide. I forgot we are slaves to the world system. Listen, your child needs to have an opportunity to serve the Lord. Now, you might be sitting out there and you didn't do that with your kids. Man, I'm not mad at you. I might not have ever mentioned it to you. But what I'm saying is I'm tired of our kids getting out of high school and absolutely ruining their lives. How many of you are tired of that? Seriously, how many of you are tired of it? Let's get on board then. Let's, Pastor, this is Sunday morning. I need help today. I am helping you. We're providing everything we can for your young people. Let us help you. Man, the world, Satan wants to destroy your homes. You are in a battle. Now, that doesn't mean if your kid doesn't go to Bible college for a year that they're destined to marry Satan. Amen? I'm just saying, I think that every child ought to have that opportunity. And those that don't take that opportunity, we need to know who's in their car. Where are they going? Well, they're 18. They're going to do what they want to do. What what do you do with that? Seriously, somebody that's that stupid, how can you help them? Can somebody think of another word? Help me here. Help me. Where are men? Is anybody here that agrees with me? Listen, it is time for the people. Now, if you're a guest here, I'm usually a lot nicer than this. I just care what happens to your kids. How many of you care what happens to your kids? All right, so here's what you do. You get up and you feed them sugar. 
Then you send them sugar for lunch, sugar for supper. You let them eat whatever they want. You actually let your kids decide whether they want to go to school or not, right? Right? You let them decide whether or not they want to do their homework, right? Is that what you do? No. But they don't feel like going to church. Well, my parents made my sister go to church, and now she's a Satan worshiper. Okay. So you make your kids go to school, and that's going to make them hate education. It's amazing how illogical we are. Folks, you are in a battle for your children. Let's look at how this battle manifests itself. Let's look at it. Go to Genesis. Oh, uh, I got to say this. Um, How many of you believe the verse that says, train up a child in the way he he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it? How many of you believe that? All right. Me too. So we're on the same page so far. But I told my class this morning, training up a child in the way he should go, that's different than I took him to church on Sunday morning. That's different than I took him to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll get to Genesis. Folks, these things need to be said. We need to think about them. I want you to ask yourself, if I started... How many of you have children? Would you raise your hand? You have children. Okay. How many have children that are at home? All right. So if I went to each person who has a child at home and had you tell us, testify, about how you fulfilled this passage this week, I wonder what you'd say. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Does it say in your mind or in your heart? Do you know how to tell the difference? How many of you can tell the difference when your child is doing something because they're threatened with loss of life? Or they're doing it because they agree it's the right thing to do? How many of you know the difference in your children? All right? So it says, It shall be in thine heart. Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now it doesn't say thou shalt have the Sunday school teacher, the youth director, the junior church worker, the pastor. How many of you notice that's conspicuously absent from the passage? Who's, who's supposed to do this? Yeah. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. If you can't go hunting with a buddy and talk about things of the Lord, you might want to wonder what your heart is full of. Out of the abundance of the heart, If when you are with your children, cleaning out the garage, working in the yard, doing the dishes, making dinner, cleaning the gutters, whatever it is you do, when you are with your children, what's in your heart and in your mind is going to come out in your conversation. According to the Word of God, when I am with my children, I am supposed to be constantly... 
not periodically, constantly teaching them things from the Word of God. How many of you believe that's what this text is saying? So, now, don't raise your hand on this. How many of you have done that this week? I told my class that, that I've been convicted of this as I've been studying this. And so I'm trying to speak more. And we do talk about it with our kids. But I'm trying to do that more. Find more time specifically to talk with them about Scripture. Man, I would hate it if my kids left our home and said, yeah, well, Dad was a preacher, but you know, we didn't talk about it much other than that. That's terrible. So remember, there's a difference. When you talk about train up a child in the way he should go, if your house, if you've got a refrigerator full of beer and you're going to tell your kids not to party, they might be thinking you've got a double standard. Amen? Amen? There's all kinds of things like that that we've got to be careful of. They go off to school and you pay for them to party. Look, we have got to get some of this stuff back under control. We've got to do it. There's a difference between training up a child in the way he should go and saying, I took him to church on Sunday. All right, so now let's look at the way the battle begins. Genesis chapter 25. I want you to see how this battle manifests itself. Genesis chapter 25, look at verse 19. Can I promise you something? You're not going to hear that on K-Love. You need to keep open communication with your children. They need to know about God. What about God? That He hates sin. And He expects something of us. Amen. Amen. Um, Genesis chapter 25, look at verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. Uh, you need to understand that word generations. Mark that. Mark that. A generation in the Bible is a race of offspring. And it's amazing how people get all messed up in the Bible because they don't know what words mean. Scholars don't know what words mean. There are all kinds of theological positions about positions about when the Lord's going to return because in Matthew chapter 24 it says, this generation shall not pass away until these things happen. So you have all these people setting dates for the return of Jesus Christ. You have people who believe that Jesus Christ actually returned in AD 70 because of that passage. All that passage is saying is that there's still going to be Jews when Jesus Christ returns. Where do you get that from? A Bible dictionary? No, no. Every time the word generations is used in the Bible, it's talking about a race of descendants. Always. All right? So if that, that was for free. Um, look at Genesis chapter 19 and look at... Let's just read on. Or Genesis 25, I'm sorry, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Um, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, there's something here that's really good. How many of you have got something right now that you're asking the Lord to do? All right? They asked for children for 20 years. Don't give up. God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, let's read on. Verse 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now look at this. 
And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? So if, if this is the fulfillment, why am I having all this trouble? And she went to inquire of the Lord. You know when you have trouble, that's a good thing to do? Take it to the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. How many of you ever been pregnant and that's what you felt like? <laughs> now imagine you got two of those kids in there fighting each other. Now I can just picture that. Can you just picture that belly and it's going... <laughs> you know, so look, it says this, um, verse 23 again, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like an hairy garment. How about that? This is my brother, Harry. <laughs> you know, later on when they go to, when they deceive Isaac, you know, he was blind. And the way they deceived him was he put a goat skin on his hands and a goat skin on his neck. Be hard for him to get a tapered haircut, wouldn't it? Where are you going to stop? <laughs> the, just, he must have been something. I mean, when he, when he smelled him, he smelled like the field. He was a man. <laughs> All right. And then it says, um, verse 26, And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Sixty years old. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Remember, a man of appetites. He could, he could provide for his belly. But Rebekah loved Jacob. We're going to stop reading right there, and so we're going to learn a couple of principles right here as we begin. Um, Jacob and Esau are a picture of the old nature and the new nature. Now, this old nature, which is Esau, he's the first one that's born. The thing that we need to understand is that old nature, that is our natural body, and that's a part of our natural birth. But what we get from this passage is that the Lord allowed her to conceive. So that means that when we are born physically, even our physical birth is by the grace of God. Amen? He knew me in the womb. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that he formed me in the womb. He knows all of my parts before they were made, the Bible says. The reason that that's important is we are not the result of some evolutionary process. We are the result of a direct action of God. And that, but that's the natural man. That's the natural man. Um, So there is the natural birth, but then the second one is the new birth. You're born again. So all of us, if you're going to go to heaven, here's the formula. You're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. That's the biblical formula. So when you're born naturally, you must be born again. When you're born again, that is a new birth. But from the minute that you're born again, there's a warfare that starts in your body. And we need to take the next step in that battle. 
There exist, according to the Word of God, two manner of people in you. Notice what the text says in verse 23. It says, And the Lord said, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people. When they come out of the womb, they're completely different. One's hairy, one's smooth. Remember when uh, Joe Aldrich was here several years ago. He said, A smooth man can make a hairy man do whatever he wants. That's hilarious, isn't it? Isn't that a great picture? But here's the deal. They are two completely kind of people, two completely different kinds of people. When you're born again, you have a new nature. Your old nature will be there as long as you live. As long as you live, there's going to be this warfare. That's the verse that we read in Galatians. The Bible says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So here's what we need to do if we're going to take the next step in our Christian life, is we've got to take the next step in battle. There is no similarity between the first birth and the second birth. They're two entirely different natures. So here's what you've got to understand. You are a little schizophrenic. And so you guys thought that was just your wife. You are. You know, schizophrenic, roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizo and so am I. The idea is, I have two sets of desires. I have two sets of thought processes. It's, how many of you have ever done something you didn't want to do? Yeah. Romans chapter 7 makes it very clear. There's a wonderful law, and that's the law of life in Christ Jesus. But there's another law warring in my members, he says. There's a war going on inside him. Now, we need to understand that if we're going to take the next step in our Christian life, that the battle is... A, is everybody with me? Are we doing okay? See, here's how I know when you're not with me. All right? There's a battle going on in you, in your flesh. Folks, we've got to get going on this battle. Different desires, different appetites. It's all got to change. The Bible says in John 3, 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's different. So here's the idea. I can be looking for worldly riches, or I can be looking for the riches in Christ. I can have a tongue that tears people apart, or I can have a tongue that brings people to Jesus Christ and builds them up in the faith. How many of you ever not wanted to come to church in the morning? That ever happened to you? Who's going to be honest and say that was today? Didn't feel like coming today. Do you know, Wednesday night before church, I said to Laura, I don't want to go to church tonight. And she said, I don't either. <laughs> Folks, it happens. Amen? Why? Why is that? Because my flesh wants to sit down and feed my flesh. That's what happens. We're going to see tonight that Esau gave up his birthright. Why? Because he was hungry. Job says we're supposed to esteem the words of his mouth more than our necessary food. Esau was the complete opposite of that. He was the complete opposite of it. And so are we. The Bible says that as newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the Word. How many times have you desperately needed that Word of God? You don't. As a matter of fact, your flesh just soon you didn't have it. That's called warfare. It's called battle. You need to take the next step. I need to take the next step 
in this warfare. Now look at verse 23 again, another characteristic of this. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people. Can I ask you a question? As you look at that verse, which one's going to be stronger? It doesn't say. How many of you have ever noticed? Sometimes in your own life, your flesh is stronger than your spirit. Other times, your spirit is stronger than your flesh. Do you know what the difference is? kind of depends on which one you feed. Which one you feed. You keep feeding your flesh, feeding your flesh, feeding your flesh. Your spirit starts to get smothered. You start feeding your spirit, feeding your spirit, feeding your spirit, and all of a sudden you're overcoming the flesh. Remember what the Bible says? I write unto you little children because you know, uh, you know that your sins are forgiven. I write unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. See, you're able to do that. Then I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. That is that warfare. It depends on what you feed. How are you doing in your scripture reading? How are you doing? How are you doing in discipling someone or in being discipled? Let me ask you a question. Do you personally, individually, have any desire for the things of God? Well, if you have no desire, there's a good chance you're not born again. You need to make sure you're born again. Amen? If you're born again and you find your desire is waning, do you know what that is? That's a battle. That's a warfare. you got to feed your spirit. Um, let me tell you why we offer Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, discipleship. Let me tell you why we offer those things. Because there's a war going on. You need to feed your spirit. The idea that you can hear one message a week or be present while a message is being preached one time a week. The idea that you can do that and that's going to overcome the steady diet of the filthy jokes at work, the stuff on the radio, the stuff on the television, the interaction all around you. Folks, it does not work that way. You are either filled with the Word of God or you're filled with the world. You are either being controlled by the Word of God or you're being controlled by the world. The Bible says this, Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, And be ye not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What happens is you are either controlled by that drink or you're controlled by God. The result of that is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks in all things. There's a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is that I'm singing to the Lord. Can you sing to the Lord at work? Not necessarily out loud. Are you able to sing in your heart? When you're at home doing the dishes, can you sing? If you can't, do you know what that means? You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says it very clearly in the book of Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, then you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're loving your wives. You're disciplining your children. It's the same thing. So I am filled with the Holy Spirit as I am filled with the word of God. When I'm filled with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit, then I overcome the flesh. Amen? That's how I walk. That's the battle. It matters what you imbibe. You are what you eat. Then, here's the good news. All right? Aren't you glad there's some good news? Here's some good news. Look at verse 23 again. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Look at this. And the elder shall serve the younger. The elder shall serve the younger. The Bible says that if I'm born again, if I have those two natures, that eventually the new nature will control the old nature. That's called spiritual maturity. That's called sanctification. That's the good news. I can think on things above. I can. I can use my tongue to build up. I can use my money for the Lord. I can carry the gospel. I can take the natural man who was born first and make him the servant of the spiritual man who was born second. But how do we do that? Slavery. We hear a lot about slavery. As a matter of fact, if you study history in one of the schools, that's all you hear about about America is that we had slavery. Um, sad, but true. How many of you know there's more to our history in the revolutionary period than slavery. How many of you know there's more to it than that? Okay. But how many people do you think walked up to the slave trader and said, hi, take me next. Go ahead, make me a slave. That's what I want to do with my life. Think that happened a lot? What did they have to do? They'd take those people kicking and screaming. Nobody wants to be a slave. How many of you think your flesh is going to come and bow before the altar and say, take my life and let it be? How many of you think that's what's going to happen? No. The Bible says that the, that the elder will serve the younger. The Bible says that the old nature will be subdued by my new nature. But how's that going to happen? Paul used the words for us that make it very clear. We talked about word pictures in Sunday school. Here's some word pictures from the Apostle Paul. I fight. I reckon dead. I mortify. I crucify. I bring into subjection. You see, it's a battle. It's a war. And what has to happen is you must die to self. Do you know what Satan wants to see happen at Grace Baptist Church? He wants to see you parents get so busy with the world that you allow the world to raise your children so that you lose them. That's what Satan wants. Do you know what the Holy Spirit wants? The Holy Spirit wants you to be involved in those kids speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Don't raise your hand, and I'm done. It's only 1130. You'll make it to Bob Evans before the Presbyterians. Um, do you have a happy home? Do you have a happy home? When you go home, are the kids glad to see you? Are you glad to see them? Is your wife glad to see you? Are you glad to see her? Do you have... <laughs> Whenever Phil's grinning back there, I know something bad's going on. Do you have a happy home? If you don't, 
if you don't have a happy home, then what reason do your children have to serve the Lord? Maybe it's time for mom and dad to die to self. Do you know what, ladies? He's never going to be perfect. He's never going to be perfect. You might be done fixing him. You know what? She may never be the image that you've built up. But she's the lady that God gave you. Why don't you love her? Why don't you accept her the way that she is? Amen? See, here's the deal. This battle is not... The battle for a happy home is not the way that I'm... It's not the battle between me and Laura who's going to have control. That's not the battle. The battle for us to have a happy home is am I going to subdue my flesh so that someone can actually live with me? That's the battle. That's the battle. You see, I want to die to self so that I can honor my Savior. I also want to die to self so that Jacob can know what it's like to live in a godly home, so that Lydia can know what it's like to see a godly man so that some knucklehead doesn't come and sweep her off her feet because he's a bad boy. I'll kick that. Anyway. <laughs> Listen, we have got, we must die to self. That's the way that we win this battle. Amen? Would you be honest with me? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about today? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You might not necessarily agree on the, some of the specific details, but you know the difference between the spirit and the flesh. You know. Folks, we need to die to self. We need to take the next step in the battle. And you know what I think the next step is? Just being aware that we're in the battle. Just to be encouraged that we can win, we can live for the Lord. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and we'll be done. You know, I know that people enjoy information messages more than practical messages for the most part because information doesn't necessarily require you to do anything. But when somebody tells you that certain behaviors will ruin your children, man, it's hard. You talk about people's kids, that gets really personal. Amen? It really does. But I'm just telling you, I'm 46 years old. I've literally been around this my entire life. Dad used to put us to sleep on, shacks, on stacks of sheetrock as he was physically building the church. I've been around this my entire life. I have seen the families that make it, and I've seen the families that lose their kids. So I've seen it. I know what the Bible says. And folks, please trust me on this. I love you. I love your kids. My heart has been so heavy this week as I've heard about some stuff that's going on in some of our young people's lives. It just kills me. And it kills you worse if it's your kids. Let's make sure that for these younger ones that are coming up, that we do everything that we can. It is possible. You'll do everything right, and your child will still make the wrong choice. That can happen. we got to be careful not to judge parents when the kids do something wrong. Amen? How many of you did something against the wishes of your parents? Yeah. yeah. Don't be looking at your spouse. Look at what the Bible says. Galatians 6. Look at verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh 
shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So here's the idea. I can sow to my flesh, and that brings death to my home. Or I can sow to the Spirit, and that has eternal and everlasting results. Which one sounds better to you? Amen? But the warfare is still hard. Dear Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to surrender.